Welcome to Community Decoded, the ultimate podcast series for founders, VCs, and builders who master the art of community building. This podcast is brought to you by Threado, a community management platform that lets you drive more engagement, identify brand champions, and scale a thriving community with automated workflows and personalized messages. We're so proud to say that we serve fast-growing community-led startups like Notion, Mixpanel, Triple Whale, and more. What are you waiting for? Hit threader.com and up your community game. Now, let's talk about this podcast. Join us as we dive deep into the world of community building with some of the biggest names in the industry. Let's decode what it takes to build a thriving community. Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to the Community Decoded Podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. Uh, today, I have an exciting guest coming onto the podcast. Uh, he's, he's been a good friend. We both did like a session, bunch of sessions with uh, a lot of community builders like years ago. And I'm, I'm stoked to bring him to the podcast. Ed, Ed, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Hey, Sharad, how are you, man? Good to see you again. Uh, I think we're still virtually seeing each other, but it's always good to see familiar faces. So yeah, glad to be here, man. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we never met. Hopefully we'll meet like sometime when you're, you know, when you're down in SF, definitely would love to like, you know, grab a coffee or something. Yeah. Uh, for folks who are listening, I want to give like a brief intro of Ed. Ed has been leading community, online communities for over like 10 years. So he's mostly like a veteran, I would say in this community space. And he worked with, you know, global brands like uh, Dropbox, Wix.com, and Zynga, and so many other amazing uh, companies and helped them build their community strategy, ambassador programs, like a lot of initiatives, and grow their communities from ground up. He also won Community Profession of the Year for 2020 uh, at CMX. CMX is this prestigious, like, you know, a community for community builders. I'm a big fan of David Spinks who started it. Uh, yeah, so Ed, I have so many things to unpack today, especially your journey of going from community builder, leading the community space, becoming one of the top you know, leaders in the community. And then, right, what you're doing at eDublin, by the way, he's like, he's becoming more of like a content creator, creating content, videos, strategy, social, and all that. So, there is more to unpack, but let me start off asking this question. What explain what what you're doing at uh, eDublin? What's what's going on with it? I I I know that you are kind of like a content agency helping brands build content out, but I want to hear your version of it. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, so first of all, thanks for the invite again. Uh, yeah, being it's crazy to say that 10 plus years is a veteran, uh, but I think we're like in a, such a new uh, space with communities. Um, so yeah, um, in Dublin started when I actually moved abroad for the first time. Um, I'm originally mm. from Brazil. I moved to Ireland in 2008. So that's 15 years ago. And um, I, I was trying to build something to connect people. You know, at the time I wasn't figuring like, oh, that's Peter community and look at this strategy and the framework and all of this like commitment curve. Nothing like that really. I was really just... Let me right. find fellow expats and start to share my learnings. I, I did that very informally as a blogger. Right. And I was doing that and I kept this on the side. You know, as I was doing that, I kind of kept doing like my work with Zynga, Dropbox and whatnot. But then it doubling got to a point where it started to really create like a lot of value to a lot of people, like millions of people. Uh, mm. So we're like, let's monetize this thing, start to, you know, 
bring this to the next level, hire people. So it right. starts to operate as a business on its own. And the main function of EWM as a business is to generate leads for agencies, universities, travel agencies, anyone who's dealing with the market of expats. So we're like mm -hmm. a lead gen for them. So almost like a marketing engine. And from the initiative of like someone who's like consuming that content. So if you're like uh, someone planning to move abroad or you're the future expat, it's more for you to find information about everything that you need when you move abroad. So it's like a source mm -hmm. of truth. Uh, again, oh. it's been 15 years, gazillion ton of uh, content that's been created there. And I'm part of right. that, you know, now of like creating content as well as, you know, the entire team. That's awesome. Yeah. And how much of your community experience helped? Uh, first of all, let's all acknowledge that you're a hustler, right? Like you've been doing EWN for a while now as a side project and you just now kind of went full time on it. Like, you know, after working at uh, Dropbox, what how much of your community experience like really helped scale eDublin and what are some things that you you can let the listeners know about uh, some key qualities that community builders and content creators have common yeah that's a good question uh i think there's a lot because essentially community so let me start with the content piece uh, that's what drives the Dublin today it's essentially giving back right so what you're doing is it's not for you anymore. You want to create something that will help someone else. And you want to do that as many times as possible with as many types of needs as possible. So uh, an example would be the two of us, like we're, we work with communities when we, want to, when we want to move abroad and we want to find a hustle in communities in a different country. That's one persona. But then what if you're like uh, a family moving in with kids, completely different persona, completely different needs, completely different priorities that you have, and so on so and so forth so finding that person and creating content for them was like the essence of that and then when you think about mm -hmm. community is this how can i connect you with fellow couples or fellow families or fellow community builders who are moving abroad and then find your niche so you can start to build up together you can start to help each other and really hustle together and that's when the community experience experience comes in right when you look at how can i become the connector more than the creator mm -hmm. only Creator is almost like I'm the spark and driving that conversation. But then once it, keep, it picks up, it's up to them to continue that and, and make sure that this continues. So I think that that's when I think both combine a lot. Uh, and I'd say there's even like a third element to that, a third pillar, which is the education, right? Because when you're doing something new, you're more willing to learn. And if you are consuming content that will teach you, not only inspire, but teach you something, you'd be more inclined towards wanting to engage there, right? So goes back to the point of community where the more you're finding this to be helpful for you, it's mm. adding value for you, you will want to continue, want to continue to engage. And at some point you want to give back as well. So that's when the full flywheel starts here to work. I really like that because I think before you create, you have to be a connector, especially you are do like, you know, uh, blending yourself in like two different worlds. Right. I love that. And so what's your what's your content strategy like at eDublin? Uh yeah, good question. We have a couple of things we do. Uh I'll share maybe like high level and then we can dip dive if you feel like uh we, we have the time. Um so first thing is uh when I was a person of myself, right? So I was a uh, one person who would need eDublin myself in my life because I was that at that same point in life where I was moving abroad, looking for information, 
And usually when you go to a different country, I'd imagine that a lot of people here have moved to a different country or have been in a different country for at least like holidays or whatever it is. When you're actually moving for good, it's a big, it's a big change in your life. But first thing that happens is you have a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions, and you want to learn. So the questions you have, you know, are very likely to be the same or very similar to questions that a lot of people have. And guess what? That's exactly the same thing that we see in brand communities where you mm -hmm. have a question about a product and they send, tend to be the very same questions over and over again. Right. And you're like, how can I create something either that will <laughs> inspire others to share that answer to that question or will create something that will enable them to, to start to communicate with each other? So again, I don't know. First question that comes to mind when you move abroad, what's the cost of living there? So how much will I spend per month to live in that certain city? Well, guess what? It depends, right? So I guess I have a cost of living. You have a cost of living. A family has a different cost of living, plus your I don't know, purchase habits and, and know what kind of mm -hmm. things you value. So what if I give you a platform to answer this question? So you can talk to other people like you. So mm -hmm. when you think about content strategy, it's like, okay, I know these are like the top 10 most asked questions. How mm -hmm. can I multiply that by 100x by giving them the ability to not only get the answer to that question, but discuss with others the versions of that question, right? Because every single question could be answered with, it depends. Right. Unless I give you access to other people who can give you more insights on their own versions of that. Right. I love that. Yeah. I think it's about like putting yourself in your, uh, in other people's shoe. Like that's what community builders quality as well, right? One of the qualities because <clears throat> I have to really empathize what people are going through. And what you said is absolutely true. They're like, there are some common questions that come along for every community. And as a content creator, I think you kind of uh, have like a framework for creating a specific content, which is repeatable and it, it provides value for a longer term. I have like a, I have like a twisted question. I would say now that you, you're being like a content creator, you've, you've created content, uh, both video, audio, like text and all that. What are some things that community builders should learn, uh, from, from a content creator? Like what are some things that they can blend? not necessarily like do a full-time community uh, content creator job, but any key aspects that you think community builders should focus on? Uh, yeah. Uh, so a couple of things I would say. First, uh, when, let's think about content as just the information or the, the asset that will serve whatever need, if it's educational, inspirational, whatever it is. Uh, you probably have a, a spectrum of timing to content uh, that may resonate a lot with how hot something is versus like evergreen, which is probably going to work anywhere, anytime, but it may not have that spike, right? So I don't know if I'm going to talk about, uh, well, AI, that's a big thing, right? So is if I go like, let's how to build a community using chat GPT, very, very, very t good timing, but it may not last long because maybe chat GPT in three months time is not going to be just mm. the hot thing anymore. Maybe it'll be something else, GPT or something mm -hmm. else, uh, mm -hmm. AI, mm -hmm. and that's it, right? So you have to constantly be updating that. So you have to always be beating, trying to beat trend and beat timing mm. and because you're going to be fighting for time and be fast. You may compromise on quality. Um, mm. there's always a, a trade. I mean, you want to be very fast and be the first one to share that and be the one mm -hmm. to drive that you probably miss out on a lot of things because you didn't have enough time to assess that or 
to put in you know the time to think about the quality of that content so there's a trade in an evergreen content you probably have a lot of in-depth knowledge and you can deep dive on that and create something that's super valuable that will last years mm. however the trade is that it would not be something that's going to spike or give you any anything big when you build communities is not different right so there are things that, it, that can happen around timing things that are more like hey there's a there's a meetup happening here let's connect and let's do this very mm -hmm. timely if you miss that you're gone there's no more like, physically not there anymore right if right, i try to right. join like a simx event the next day the event's not going to be there so right. it's different where i may create uh routines that are more evergreen they will always work every week but they're always going to be slightly flat and slightly in a plateau mode they're never going to get that speed so hmm. again for community builders is how do i think about that mix where i may want to drive something that will drive that initial spike because mm. I need that, I need that drive, but I need to make sure that this is not the, the long game. This is just to get my ignition, then I have to think about the evergreen so that I'll continue my, my, my movement here. So I have to make sure that things are moving. So again, I'm pushing this big train, it was moved very slowly, but once it starts to move, it starts to get traction. Right. And then at some point you're like, okay, now it's moving by itself. And then right. suddenly like, I'm no longer the pilot. Who's piloting this? I'm like, don't know, it's the community until and it it'll run by itself right like that's that's the that's the beauty of building sustainable exactly. communities and what you said is absolutely interesting too as well uh how or do you have like a routine where you pick on trends as a content creator as a community builder how do how do you stay on top of like everything like you said you have to you have to create timeless content right as a content creator and as a community as well you have to build like a self-sustainable long-term community where people help each other so is there like a routine where you keep yourself like you know on that edge uh it's hard man <laughs> i think uh, <laughs> uh, uh it, it's not something that you're never going to be able to beat timing and if you're trying always beat time you're going to lose against uh you know quality and everything else that i mentioned mm -hmm. there's one other aspect to the whole thing that we we're sharing which i think may resonate to a couple of community managers not to all of them which is when you are actually driving content for a while and then you create your credibility and authority over the content and at some point it's not about the content anymore but you sharing that content your version of that content um mm. so let me give you like a really bad example but you're gonna see if it makes sense uh if if suddenly i don't know we have uh i don't know Conor McGregor is very Irish. I'm going to think about a different person. But like, say that uh, Johnny Depp, he decides to open like a new uh, line mm. of coffee. And then he goes like, hey, I'm going to open this coffee place. And then it's going to be called Johnny Depp Coffee. Um, mm. A lot of people will go there. Do you think they're going to go there because his coffee is great or it's because it's Johnny Depp? It's because it's Johnny it's, Depp. And you're like, yeah, mostly. I want to see Johnny Depp. I don't right. care if he's a good coffee maker or not. He's probably a crap, uh, terrible coffee maker. Doesn't mm. matter. Same right. when he has his band and he's playing live. A lot of people go to the gigs because they want to see Johnny Depp playing guitar, not the band, the band performing this amazing gig, right? So right. It, at some point, the creator is bigger than the content, and mm. that makes a whole difference because it changes the the, the paradigm. It's essentially you sharing something, and they want to see what's Ed's version or what's Sharat's version of that thing that, that's happening. What's your mm. view on AI? What's your view on community? What's your view on this? What's your view on that? And then at some point, content becomes it's hard to say but it becomes deprioritized it's more about your opinion than uh the other way around um so that's one thing that could happen and mm -hmm. if that happens maybe good or maybe bad good because well 
you're no longer dependent on the content and timing, but much more about your opinions. The bad is, what if one day you get sick and you don't want to just share content? What happens mm. to the whole thing? Because it's around you, no longer around a community, right? So you start to, to become that center. Where the flip side uh, to your point is, well, we think about content first and how do we keep on top of things? How do we make sure that what's happening resonates to people? Mm -hmm. It's when you have to drive and think about how the community helps you. And I think we, you mentioned the ambassadors program. I think that's a big one because mm -hmm. that's essentially how do I 10x myself? How do I 10x the work I'm doing, right? So you have your community members that are mostly likely to share that same content or to think like you're to try and drive things that would be like, this is the tone that I want. This is the type of style that we want to create here in this community. And this is the type of messaging we want to share. And they'll multiply that because they'll be probably spending their time at their own leisure and doing their own things, but helping you scale that. Yeah, that's that makes damn sense to me. Uh, <clears throat> so you mentioned one of the key points. At some point, content becomes bigger than the creator, right? It it becomes a you know larger part. It's not really driving around the creator itself. In that <laughs> Johnny Depp example couple of follow-ups from a community manager standpoint or community builder standpoint. What do you think a community, uh, or let me rephrase this, like when should a community builder plan or strategize in a way that the community is bigger than the community builder? And what is like your path that you advise, you know, for, for community managers or community builders to go from where they are to like that path? Yeah, um, good question. Probably the the it's it's becoming harder and harder. Um, I think not because of um, the lack of quality. I think it's just because there's a lot of good quality out there, uh, and you. A lot of people think it's the the best job of a community manager is to get to a point where they don't have they don't have to do anything, and the community will continue to thrive. And I think this is maybe misleading, because it, it may be that at some point you don't need to be at the forefront of what's happening, but you're behind the scenes. You're making sure that things are running smoothly. Um, and I think the best example is like, you wanna be that IT guy that if things are working, you don't realize it because they become invisible, right? right? So, I mean, it's invisible for us that the internet's just working fine now for us until it doesn't. And then when it mm -hmm. doesn't work, you realize you had internet and it's broken now. You're like, right. oh, what happened? Why is my internet not working? And then you're like, who do I call? Where's the IT right. guy? Right, right? right. So being a great community manager comes to a point where like you become invisible because it just works. It's just mm -hmm. flawless. It's beautiful. It's seamless. But then if something goes wrong, you're like, oh, where's the community person? We need to, <laughs> there's an issue here. Uh, so I think that's um, the, the balance is it, it, back to my point of being creator versus the community managers. You're going to be a great community manager when it just, you're seamless. You just make it work. You make it flow. And that's, I think that's the the, the, main, the main goal. That's the aim that a community manager should, should try and, and get to. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I feel, uh, I think that's what every community manager desires for too, right? Or every community builder they desires for too, like it, to become invisible because I always say this, uh, whoever like the founders come to me, a successful community in my opinion is when you take a backseat, and community runs by itself and someone is replacing you as, as an actually leader, like, you know, taking charge, mm -hmm. doing initiatives, finding people, bringing them, inviting them, everything you do on a day-to-day -day basis. If you're not, if you're not intentionally delegating, but 
someone actually picked up that slack and like you know they want to move uh, forward without you i feel that's like a you know a, a great metric i would say of a successful self sustainable community let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your uh, dropbox experience because i think that's that's one of the one of the biggest things you did in in your career is like you know scaling uh, dropbox community like more than i think 500 million people to like you know what not uh talk to me about like some of the initiatives you did like i i know you you built like a super user program uh talk talk to me about it like what was the inception like and how did you go from 0 to 1 yeah uh well dropbox was probably my best um like my my biggest learning curve ever because i was coming from a community of gaming with zynga Uh, right and gaming is very different i know that today it's very popular you have like twitch you have big communities happening uh, elsewhere but zing is a casual gaming company and we're talking about 2010 up to like 13 14 so 10 years ago that's different right uh right. but it was a gaming community was different back then and and coming to from that into dropbox was a huge huge change it was thinking mm. about okay we have like this hundreds of millions of users but dropbox has one thing that's different from the gaming company it's mm-hmm. a commodity because just like the two of us have like prescription glasses it doesn't make us want to join a community of prescription glasses owners right right or right. like oh every guy who has a beard you're not going to join the community it's just too commodity it's just like well then guess what me plus a billion users have that right so it right. doesn't really make any anything out, outstanding for me or anything that's value add for me to join now you're like okay what if i'm the prescription glass maker what if i'm actually a designer prescription glass or something that will find okay there's point there's a point for me to join and dropbox mm. was no different when i joined we're like okay we have all of these users and the expectation was really high because we're like well with all of this a community is going to be as successful as we are as a product right so it's going to mm-hmm. be huge millions of users talking about you uh and it's not necessarily like that the first thing you learn is that people don't necessarily care because they mm-hmm. just have it working just like the IT idea right it's like my internet was working i don't need to join a community of people who have internet just because it's working right it's because mm-hmm. it's because it's great it's because it's fast whatever they don't they don't uh, and what tends to happen is unless i have a problem i will join because i need to solve that problem so that's first or i have a natural interest because either i'm making money out of it or i will have to save money by using it you have like a business value behind it and then you will be like okay i'm more inclined towards engaging with that brand mm. so with dropbox i had to find that so who is engaging with us and who cares about us first and again that's what i'm saying about like learning is it was a lot of people looking for help they needed to solve something quickly they're like files are not syncing whatever so we're like okay let's start with this support community and evolve mm. from there because when you start a support community you're, you're just transferring like knowledge from one place to another unless you have someone to give right. you that scaled answer and quickly we realized that okay we need people to answer these questions but we can't just be hiring people imagine if i was to answer a million people with mm. my staff i would have to hire a gazillion people to get to right. be able to cope with that right right so who cares about what we do well people who are building integrations for example so they're building integrations mm. using dropbox and they care enough system admins because they're trying to deploy dropbox for their companies people building teams people building this and you start to look at uh, there's all of this different pillars of people who care enough or people who are just early adopters they just care about 
the product involvement and development and implementations and all of that. And they care enough just about that. So you're like, okay, there's all of these groups. Can we connect with them? And that's what I did. I started to really connect with them. And then I found out, oh, there's a group of people who are more engaged than others. What if I do a, like a super group? And mm. super users group, which is the name we gave at the time for the ambassadors, was because of that. Because they're like super users as, you know, like in administration systems, you have like the user and then you have a super user. Yeah, I was yeah, like, let yeah. me call them super users. And that just, you know, worked well because they loved it. Um, so it was like that, you know, starting thinking about who cares enough to engage and, and give back. Because right. a lot of people in big companies, again, you can think about Spotify, you can think, think about, I don't know, Zoom or mm -hmm. any company that offers a free meal model. The majority of that consumer base, that user base will be people seeking for something, but never willing to give back just by mm -hmm. nature, because it is what it is. 95% right. plus of that yeah. community is not paying any penny. And they don't care enough, you know, majority will not even care to join a community or to even try and engage with the brand. If, they, if something is not working, they just move on to something else. But then when you start to have that cohort of people who care, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll double down this group here, mm. make them feel so great and so valuable that this will mm. help me scale. And that's what, what I did. And, and that's helping us and has helped Dropbox scale to points where like never expected it would be. And to be able to you know cope with like these millions and millions of users who are like engaging in other platforms as well that's awesome and these ambassadors like you know i think the super user name itself is so so relevant because uh by calling them super user itself you're making them feel special in a way right you're kind of like you know mm -hmm. uh treating them separately and and they do your work in a way uh and you pick them for that reason so the key my follow-up question is at that time when you're building this how did you incentivize these super users what are some things that you did that motivated them to like a number one they're all a players we all agree that right like that's mm. that's why they're in this group but what made them to move forward for a long long term like it's not like a one one month gig or anything like they have they have a responsibility that you're sharing with them how did you make them inclusive and what are some incentives that you've you know offered yeah uh good question um I, i'd say a majority my first thinking and i think majority of people would be thinking about the same is okay what can i give them so that they'll get excited right i mean can i give them a swag can i give them free access to whatever can i give them I don't know, can I pay them even, you know, <laughs> give them monetary value? Can I give them a gift card? Right. Um, and funny enough, uh, the, the, the thing that they cared the most was the fact that I was always there to reply and talk to them when they needed. And mm. it didn't matter for a long time, like for, for six months, I didn't give them anything tangible, you know, like a, a badge mm. or swag or anything like that. Because we're even building, and we didn't have a community space. We didn't have like a platform. So I, I didn't have like a badge to give them. I didn't have budget to give them, you know, a swag, uh, but I was giving them my time, which was very precious for a lot of them. They're like, oh, if I pick up the phone, will you answer? I'm like, yeah, of course I will. If I try and ring you via Slack, will you pick it up? I say, yeah, of course. Right. Uh, if I need to answer, you know, to get this question answered, will you be there? I'm like, yes, I will be here. And that was the one thing that they cared the most. Uh, and it worked really well. Um, I have, when I do presentations, I, I'm not doing them so much with uh, Dropbox anymore, but... Uh, I would send a screenshot that I have on the 24th of December. That's like a day before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Someone sending me a message. One of the super users sending me a message. Hey, Ed, I found this one thing here. 
willing to help me, you know, troubleshoot of this and fix this. Like, of course, let's jump in in the call. And then mm. I'll get that person. And that was high value for them. That's like, this guy, mm. they, they care. They care about me, truly care. It's not just, you know, they give me hoodies. I mean, right. hoodies are great, but they'll, <laughs> they'll not buy you on the right. long run, right? They'll be, be excited for first month. Next month, you wash your hoodie twice. It looks washed. It looks terrible. You're like, oh, yeah, that, that's, oh, yeah, I remember I got that. Right. So there's that. Um, I think the other thing that was fantastic, and I'm really, really proud of that, and I'm glad for, you know, and grateful for, for, for Dropbox for giving me this opportunity, was flying the top contributors to San Francisco. Mm. And they were coming from all the places in the world, like, you know, Europe, Asia, everywhere. We flew them all to San Francisco to spend the day in the office and, you know, get together, mm. you know, meet with the product team, talk to people, have sessions with them, get lunch with us, and they'll grab beers together and then meet with our CEO. Mm. Uh, and they actually had like this, it was supposed to be five minutes. It lasts like 50 minutes because we're like just chatting and he was so excited to ask questions to our super users because like, wow, dude, I mean, you're here. What the hell? It's, it's amazing <laughs> to see you. And all of this, like everything that sounded awkward was so natural because it just like our CEO was more awkward than them in terms of like not feeling comfortable. <laughs> we're like, you guys are so great. I mean, I don't even know what to say to thank you. And they're like, we're nervous too. Like, I mean, we don't know. Can I take a selfie? <laughs> you know, right. Things like that. But this is so much value add because you're like, when in my life would I ever expect you to meet the CEO in his office in San Francisco, traveling for the first time to the US, all of those combined, right? So this is like, you know, going to Disney World for the first time for them. It's like, <laughs> I've never been out of my country and then suddenly I'm here, like, you know, physically right. in, the, in the office and seeing all these amazing things. So this was huge. It was huge. And I think they were always remembered that because, again, mm. it creates such a level of bonding because you're like traveling together, struggling together, uh, finding people, you know, going to Alcatraz together and all of these things <laughs> that are like combined with the fact that you're physically at the same location. Mm. Um, so I think being there for them was the first one by far. And then obviously when we had the chance to do the uh, meetup uh, in SF was huge as well. Wow. Yeah. I love, love, always love hearing those personal stories because... It, it one, like, you know, it triggers some ideas for me as a community builder, as as well as like for listeners, it motivates them to like, you know, take more such personal, uh, well-connected actions, right? I love that. Uh, so I'm 100% sure it's not like, it's not always like a sunny day, you know, at Dropbox, for example, specifically when now that we're talking about Dropbox. What are some lows or the things that didn't work there that you want to like you know highlight about today yeah um it, it's true and it's not everything that's um you know it's always not, not always great in you know and not always as you expect i think there are a couple of things um maybe one is more on the strategic level uh and i think this is it's publicly no information not sharing anything confidential um obviously a lot of these companies uh when they start on a freemium model where 95, 90% or more of your consumer base is not paying you. Mm -hmm. There's a desire that you convert them into paid customers as soon as possible. You know, you will, this happens with banking systems that are like free for mm -hmm. up to like first year. Then they have tried to convert you. Um, YouTube now with premium, trying to get premium to everyone as <laughs> much as possible, forcing you into watching like ads and then mm -hmm. maybe soon 30 seconds ads because they will want to convert you because uh, the bill has to be paid by someone, yep. right? Yep. And then it the, the maths don't add up if you have like millions and millions of users using it for free and then 
a small fraction paying for it. Right. Because at some point, it's either too expensive for that small fraction, or if you dilute, then it becomes more accessible for more people and you can build more things. And I understand that as a business, but obviously from the from someone who's not paying and, and has built that habit of not paying, suddenly you start to limit certain things so that they will pay. Mm. It can be very frustrating, right? So right. there's just so much you can do on like a community level to sustain that because at some point you have to be like, look, I know this and this and this and this and this were all free, but right. now right. you have to pay for them because right. it is what it is. It's yeah. business. You yeah. know? If we were charity, fine. But then it frustrates users. A lot of people get upset. Uh, and it, managing frustration is not always great, you know, it, especially when you're like, yeah, man, it's a business decision. You know, it is. Right. And you have to be very strong on that. Uh, so that that's, I think, one thing that definitely, you know, frustrates a lot of users and frustrates the community manager because you're trying to be that the cool guy, you know, being like there for them. But it, you're like, I have to bring the bad news too. I have to right. be, you know. Yeah. But I think that the flip side of that, they understand it. They're like, yeah. oh, I'm not, I know it's, it is a business thing. So it's a decision. It's not like a new. Exactly. Um, so that things like that, where they have like a big issue if like, say, I don't know, like uh, the platform being down, have like an outage, being sure, being sure that this is going to be fixed at some point, but at the same time being very open about, hey, we still don't have a, an ETA on, on what this is going to be fixed or when this is going to happen or whatever, or this other thing that we had planned had to be canceled and, you know, know what's not going to happen or anything like that. These are things that are just like, when you carry bad news, it's always something you have to be, you know, mindful of, uh, especially if it's people create expectations on that. Right. So yeah, I think these are like when things are not going so well, but I never had a situation where it's like bad as in we did bad things, you know, because we don't care. It's more about, we had to make decisions and the decision is not always on your favor. Right. It, right. it is what it is. And yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we have to pay bills. We have to eat rice, right? Like we have to, <laughs> We have to feed our yeah. tummies and, you know, pay bills like light, heat and all that, clothes and everything. I feel, uh, but that's why I feel it, we, we always have to be very transparent, like, you know, from the, you know, from the beginning that whatever we, go, we are going through as, as, a, as, a, as a business, you know, if we let people know, they're always in the loop and they, some people might resent, but some people, they actually empathize, right? You know, it's all about empathizing yeah. with each other. Uh, what are some things that that you did unconventionally that uh, brought product teams and community together? Um, I'll share an example from Dropbox as well because I think that was um, uh, a great one. I'll share what I can share. I mean, some yeah, things yeah. unfortunately can't be of publicly uh, shared, but uh, summary of it is we have a desktop app that's released every cycle. You know, there's a, a, a cycle where a new version gets released. It's not like a major update. It's usually like a couple of fixes, a couple of improvements and, and here and there. But sometimes you have like a bigger release and this release needs to be tested. Um, in tech companies, I, I know a lot of people may be familiar, but we call it dog footing where we test our own version of that before it goes out to the public. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a big, big, a big issue with that, right? One of the biggest issues is that mm -hmm. it's a biased group of people because the needs are very similar in your company. Mm -hmm. um, you're biased because it's your own product, so you know what works and what doesn't. You know how things work. Uh, and usually, I mean, I'm talking about majority, right? I mean, the expectation is that you know how your product works. Not inside out, but maybe better than majority of people out there. So 
it's not that when you do dog footy, it's not probably the best way of testing whether something is working or not. So I was like, okay, can we, and they had a beta feature, a beta feature that would be like, you go out on Apple store and download the beta feature. But that, that's again, it's a gap between, you know, the, this quantitative data that I don't know, hundred thousand people get and your internal employees with qualitative, but very biased data, mm. nothing in between. And I suggested, can we do something that the community will test? And they were like, no way, you know, <laughs> you're crazy. You know, going to throw like something broken or half baked into your community. That's going to be worse than anything else. It's like, well, we will handpick a group, right. bring them into like a closed space and they'll test it for us. I'm like, well, but not sure. Uh, they have the beta versions already and, you know, Apple and Google Store. It's like, no, 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 that's going to be an alpha version. I don't want the beta version because that's too late. I want them to test as we're testing. I like, oh, now we need to go through NDA. I was like, yeah, let's do NDA then. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, but we need to make sure that we control the environment in which they're sharing the feedback. It's like, we can do that. Mm-hmm. And I start to really remove all the blockers they were coming up with. And we essentially created this group of this alpha beta. I know it was like beta testers, but they were alpha testers. Essentially. <laughs> they didn't know they were betas. Right. They're getting the first, first version as we were getting them. And um, they were under NDA, they were in a private group and all the information shared was, you know, contained in that space. Mm-hmm. They could not share this publicly or anything like that. And we would get them like the downloadable file to install mm. and test. And you know what? It was perfect because what happened was we started to collect qualitative data from people who had completely different use cases than we would have internally mm. in the company. Because again, as I mentioned, if you're internally using it, you know the use cases, you right, know how... Right. You're probably going to use for the same thing all the time. You share externally, you start to see a lot of things. And one of the biggest things we saw was, I think it was Norton or some other firewall that people had installed that would prevent files from syncing. Hmm. Uh, because we're testing this with this small group in the community, they were able to flag that because they're like, oh, I'm using Norton. Uh, hmm. and, you know, it's not a, you know, they're like, it's not updating. What's going on? A lot of troubleshooting back and forth. And then we found out, okay, it's because you have a firewall uh, and that's it. And they're like, well, Guess what? There are like 80 million people using this same firewall. It would have struggled with 80 million people, you know, right. and that would be a big, big issue yeah. for us. Not only in the reputation, but, you know, cases in the customer support, social media and all of that. So then we start to say, okay, that's great value the community can give because you're preventing this major uh, issue because they're just so willing to share and so willing to test that you get cases that are like not really things that you're planning ahead. So this became like the norm. So from that time on, every time there was a new release, it would send it to community first, mm. get them to test. And a week later, they would send this to the world after all the fixes. So amazing, amazing win for us. Yeah, community, you know, uh, they come very handy, right? Like, especially when you're building a product-centric community, uh, these people are very passionate. And I had, I had like a similar experience when I was at Walgreens. Uh, we used to do these focus groups where we used to like, you know, demo them, the prototype apps, and they used to like flag things even before us building the whole thing, you know? So majority of people say, hey, this this flow won't work. This this is going to like, you know, kill the whole feature itself. And some people say that, you know, this is not even a feature, right? You're, you're overestimating or overthinking it. So that really helped us at that time to pivot, prioritize, and kind of like, you know, move forward quickly and fast. I think that's a that's a clever way to like use uh, community as a lever. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Wix, your experience. And I think Dropbox is completely like a, 
like anybody can use type of a product right like you if you have files you can use dropbox but with wix it's slightly different like it's it's about creators like business owners primarily fundamentally and who wants like you know build a presence on the internet right uh what are some things that you changed gears from going from dropbox to wix from a community standpoint yeah great question and i think this is uh to your point they're completely different use cases uh with wix first maybe a lot of people i'm uh, well publicly saying because this is public information 200 plus million people uh, have a wix account and they have a website oh. built on wix now you're like are, are they 200 million tech savvy builders no because yeah. uh it because you have a, a website built in wix it's not because you know or because you care it's just because that was like the option you had uh, or maybe someone built that for you, right? right. So uh, to your point, looking at the community for us, there was who cares enough about Wix? Who is truly caring about the technical side of Wix? So again, uh, what's the manufacturing behind the chair is sitting like, ah, I kind of don't care, mm-hmm. but the, the guy who built that chair cares. Um, right. To Wix, the same thing. So who's the technical guy building these websites? And what can we do for them to add value so that they will build more websites. They'll be able to charge more. They'll be able to off, you know, use the premium features, whatever mm. it is. So it's it's a much more uh, tangible value add because of Wix. Someone who's building websites on Wix, they're making money out of it. So right. They're selling, and 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 the more you help them, the more money they make. So right. I mean, the 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 trade there is a bit more straightforward, right? Because with Dropbox is more like, hey, I learn more. Maybe I have an integration here that more people will use, or I'll have more usage or capacity at my team and whatever it is, but it's, it's less like, it's not like a one metric that will measure them all. It's like a, you know, a couple of measure measurements where with Wix is more like I'll sell more, make more money. That's mm. it. Simple as that. So how can I help you make more money by building your you know, websites and acting as a freelancer or as an agency? Uh, so because we know the end goal is that it becomes more of like, how do I work backwards? So, Again, to your point, it's like, how do I help you get more clients? How do I help you convert more of your leads into clients? How do I help you charge more by sharing this and this and these different things? How do I help you upsell by adding, you know, build things to your ecosystem and your tech stack? So it's easier in that sense, mm-hmm. you know, that you know what to do. Harder because it's a smaller group, you know, mm. out of the 200 million, you have like a couple of hundred thousand that are actual builders and then of those you have like a breakdown of like language you know different geographies sure. and so on forth so forth so uh wix was a, a different beast again huge learning there uh especially when they joined it was during the pandemic so everyone wanted to build a business online right and needed help so it was great timing uh, at the same time very challenging because everyone in every single industry type and vertical right. wanted to build something and we're like, how do we cater for all of these groups? You know, I, I can't just throw like a merchant to talk to like a doctor and say like, let's build together because the needs are different. The, the regulations are different. Yeah. The level of knowledge is different over like how to do this online versus uh, the other. So yeah, it was, it was a huge, huge win there. And I think it's also like a, like a different spectrum altogether. I think Dropbox users are, most of them at least are decision makers. They're they're themselves using for you know for their use case right like it, even though i mean yeah there is darprox teams and you use for you know your whole startup and your company but but majority of people you basically like you know you're itself a decision maker on the other side wix i feel that's the, that's the follow-up question i have 
you're including a set of people who are decision makers like individual builders and creators but there are also businesses like who has some hierarchy and they should get approvals and all how did you uh formalize that community yeah uh so it 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 makes sense uh what you mentioned i think there's uh i would say within this space of businesses there are different sizes of that business and who is the decision maker uh ultimately and how how much of that person has even a say on that and i'll give you an example say that like you're a yoga teacher mm-hmm. and you need to build a website and you're like maybe just yourself as much as you're the decision maker you're probably not going to be technical enough to tell me whether wordpress wix or webflow is better you'd be like right. just build me a damn site and whatever is cheaper you know whatever is easier right. to build and i need this yoga site ready by next week and they will come up with a wix template and that's it mm-hmm. so even though the owner is a decision maker and they want paying for the bills they, they don't have that call whether the technology that's going to be used mm-hmm. is the right one or not and they will have to trust that partner which is a wix partner right so to deploy Wix and same thing like Webflow has the same, WordPress has the same, Shopify has the same. They all have like partners in their communities trying to offer the best. Hmm. And the, the the community comes to to value when what we offer them by being part of our group is better than competition, right? Hmm. And better meaning meaning I give you better leads, I give you better access to my team. You you can get more out of what we throw at you. There's a revenue share as well, right? Because I mean, if you're selling a premium website that's paid two weeks, you want to get a cut of that. So do I mm. offer you a better cut than my competitors? So th- there's a lot of things that come together combined. Uh, do I give you more visibility? Do I make you feel special by being part of my group versus someone else? Because again, I give you the example, like WordPress is a huge community, probably the biggest one, but it probably just a number there because mm. it's too big. And maybe there will be a small cohort that feels special, but mm-hmm. everyone else, a lot of developers I worked with, part of that community, they're like, yeah, I mean, I don't even know who to talk to if I have an issue. Right. I just join the community and I'll trust someone who's going to answer. Right. Where with Wix, we're like, we will be here for you. If you have an issue, you can call us. You can, you know, we will have like this weekly sessions where you can share feedback about things and, and whatnot. So it's a little bit like that you mm. know, when you think about the, the decision maker and who is ultimately making that decision. Because maybe the developer is the decision maker, even though they're yeah. not paying the bill. And again, I think you're using the same formula, which is showing utmost care for these people, like and switching gears a little bit, but the fundamental foundation is the same, you know, for, for Dropbox, mm-hmm. same thing. I'm here for you. Same, same, same yeah. principle applies for businesses, decision makers as well. <clears throat> Before we wrap up, I know we are like really closing on the time. I have like one uh, question about hiring, like you've, you've led a team of community managers at Wix and Dropbox. So what are some tips or the qualities that you look for when you hire community managers that you want to pass it to the listeners? That's easy, man. Be a hustler. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, I, I, I hate people with a lot of like, you know, this fluffy things in their CVs and trying to come up with hard words and man, just do the work, you know, uh, if you don't know how to do it, figure it out, go search online, go talk to people, go ask, be, truly be a hustler. Mm. Um, I actually had situations where like people are like, oh, I can't build this because I don't have the right technology or the budget. I'm like, dude, I mean, none of us did. I mean, I started right. doubling with zero money. I never actually raised a single dollar and it's a hundred percent bootstrapped. We've grown and we, we made it work, yeah. you know, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not asking you to build like a, a doubling or anything big like that. Just do the work, you know, make sure that 
And if you don't know, figure it out. Don't be shy. Talk to people. Feel free to, you know, ask people all questions you need to. Because a lot of them, there's like, I'm not able to get this answer. Like, did you ask? They're like, no, but they didn't share. Like, well, just ask the question. If you don't ask, they don't answer. So uh, I, that's that's all I need. If someone is a hustler, and there are ways to test that, right? right. I mean, you, you notice yourself. Yeah. Even like what, what, what you see people doing, the way they frame questions, the way they raise their challenges, you know, okay, you're not a hustler at all, or you are a hustler, I can yeah. tell. Uh, so that to me is the, the one attribute. Everything else you can teach, you know, the technical skills, some of the soft skills you can teach as well. Mm. Obviously, you want to make sure someone's correct if they were having integrity and all of that. But this right. is the minimum expected, right? I don't want to hire someone who's like, you know what? I love to steal from people. I'm like, come on. So you want to make sure the per- person is like a correct person, but has that hustle inside them. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I think that's, that's a very appropriate way to say all hustlers qualify as community builders, you know, one way or the other, because they, they have that energy and curiosity to get things done. And that's what we want, like, as a community. Because most of the communities build on scrappy, uh, you know, environment. It's not super perfect. You, you don't have all the tools in your stack. You don't have the budget. You, you don't really have, like, you know, playbooks and everything that comes to your hand. You basically have to figure out, adapt, and move from there. Ed, as always, you know, I, I love talking to you as always, and we can go on and on, but I want to respect your time. And uh, this has been great. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for taking time. Uh, this episode, I feel, I hope are, it's going to inspire a lot of people and, you know, get things going in their community. But yeah, as a content creator, that those things are really valuable. Uh, you know, at least to me, those are the biggest takeaways for the community builders. Think from content creator standpoint and pick up on the trends, be on top and be very authentic when you like, you know, communicate what you want to like thinking and whatnot to the the community. So any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, Well, no, thanks again for the time. I think uh, really if people want to reach out, you know, they can uh, add me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's probably the easiest place. Uh, but also if you go to add.community, you can add me there as well. Uh, so that's an easy way to get people in. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, thanks again for the time. No, no worries. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. Uh, thanks again, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for yet another episode. We'll be back. But thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you,